Welcome to episode number 65 of the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring DP cinematographer Nelson Craig of the new FX miniseries, American Crime Story, The People vs. O.J. Simpson, executive produced by Ryan Murphy and developed by veteran screenwriters Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski from the Jeffrey Tobin book, The People vs. O.J. Simpson, takes us through the media circus surrounding the 1995 trial of O.J. Simpson for the alleged murder of his wife, Nicole Brown Simpson. The cast features Cuba Gooding Jr. as O.J. Simpson, John Travolta as O.J. Simpson's legal counsel, Robert Shapiro, as well as Courtney B. Vance as his other part of his legal counsel, Johnny Cochran, and Sarah Paulson as Marsha Clark, the prosecutor in the case. DP cinematographer Nelson Craig shares with us his experience at the USC grad program for film production, We'll also go into his work on such critically acclaimed television shows as Homeland and Breaking Bad, and how he collaborated with executive producer Ryan Murphy and directors Anthony Hemingway and John Singleton to create the distinctive look of The People vs. O.J. Simpson, and how he was able to execute the stunning and incredibly innovative car chase sequence, the famous Bronco chase, in episode two of the show. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. And don't forget, you can like us on Facebook, Jog Road Productions, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Jog Road Productions, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Jog Road and at Jog Road Productions. And now we join DP cinematographer Nelson Craig as he shares with us his early experiences at the USC grad program for film production. And you can watch American Crime Story, The People vs. O.J. Simpson, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. on FX. And you can watch it on demand anytime on the FX Now app. For me, I, went, I was a USC uh, graduate student. I always wanted to work in film and TV, you know, uh, from a young age. And I made a lot of movies, you know, just on VHS camcorders and things like that. And then... You know, going to USC for me was a great eye-opening experience because, you know, I was, you know, 19 years old. Well, no, I was a little older than that. I was, it was 2000, so I was uh, like 21, 22, thrust into, you know, a really competitive environment in, you know, South Central Los Angeles. And it, it was surrounded by a lot of really smart, uh, you know, filmmakers, writers, sound designers, editors, and uh, cameramen and camera people. And, and it was... For me, I, you know, it's USC is sometimes doesn't get flack, but it's it's kind of a commercialized system, like the way that they make you compete for projects and like, you know, you'll compete for directing spots and then you'll crew up, like you know, the the school. Will so is it sort of like there are a certain number of short films that you're allowed to make during a semester? Or? Exactly. USC yeah. will finance four short films, uh. and they'll make the entire graduate class compete for those directing spots, <laughs> writing spots, uh, shooting spots. So you really learn, like, okay, I have to specialize in something, mm. and I have to get on a crew, or yeah. you know. So, so it for me, it, I mean, it, it's a difficult process, but it's one that is very close to how the real world works, you know, in, in booking work and building reputation, and, you know, and, and all those things. So uh, for you, like determining that you wanted to be a cinematographer and going in to compete for those projects, mm -hmm. was there sort of a skill set that you sort of developed in terms of how you pitched yourself and how you thought you could sort of convey that you knew what you were doing better than other people in a way? Yeah, and it's tough because, you know, when you go to film school, a lot of people aren't, I wasn't 
certainly aware of specific crafts to the degree that I am now. You know, I, I went just thinking, okay, everybody's kind of a director, writer-director, right? Yeah. Like, you have these ideas of, like, you know, Kubrick, Spielberg, these filmmakers. But, you know, for me, I got to film school, and I, I knew that I had come from a really strong visual background. I was a fine artist. I did, you know, a lot of charcoal and painting and printmaking. And I was also a literature major, so I had, so I kind of had a really strong visual background and a literature background. So that kind of combined into the perfect thing to be a cinematographer because it was interpreting scripts visually. Yeah. So that worked really well for me, and I, I kind of quickly realized at film school that I had a special skill in that, in, in visual creating visual images and tell a story. Um, and you know, under, and you know, USC is is great in the sense that you kind of. You have a little bit of sense of reality in, in the sense you, like you have to make a living doing this. You know, it's a craft. You have to, you know, not everybody can go out and start, you know, self-financing independent movies or whatnot. So, for me, it was a, I kind of thought if I focus on cinematography and I shoot as many student films as I can, you know, 15, 20 of them, mm -hmm. I'm getting a great experience. I'm going to be able to build a reel and I'll be able to, you know, actually put work after school. And, yeah. And you know, and it's, it seems to work out. So, is it was it important to you to learn how to use different types of cameras, you know, working with different technical equipment, was it sort of not, you know, were you working kind of beyond film at that point, or was No, it... we were, interestingly, my class, I think it was the last class to be shooting on film in, uh, in the program. Uh -huh. So we still were shooting 16 millimeter on a little Aerie S, and cutting on a, you know, like on a flatbed, on a Steam Oh, so you weren't even editing on computers? No, we didn't have, they wow. had Avids there, but they were, you know, we, we were editing digital, it was kind of, it was, there was a combination of both, but the main classes were still film, and the fine and the four uh, 546s that the that school financed were still shot on 16 millimeter and cut on film and projected on film. Hmm. So, uh, so I was kind of an interesting generation of cameraman who actually was taught film by old film cinematographers, Orath Rath and Judy Arola and Woody Omens, who were all you know. And actually, would shoot film at school and project thirty-five, and and uh, and the first couple projects I did out of school were still film, even independents were still like there was DV and there was uh, you know the kind of the Lars von Trier school of like just shooting you know like a, a cheaper format, yeah. But there were but people still were shooting on film, independent films on film that those days. So once you started using sort of the more uh, like elusive. Like digital cameras like the red or the alexa you know transitioning from film over did you find there was a big difference in how you were working and how you were lighting a scene? yeah it, does, it, it changes the process it really does some people it, say you need less light with digital do you find that to be the case or are you yeah kind of, i yeah? do it's you know the, the the film stocks are slower even the 500 you know rated at a thousand is still slower than than uh, alexa you know and i mean i it, for people listening that understand ISO, it's like I, I rate the Alexa at like almost 1200 natively. It's really fast, you know, um, even though they, they, when they say it's 800, but I, I think it's even faster than that. And they really are faster in the sense of their speed. Now, what that means is, as far as creating an image, there's not a huge difference. I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, it's a tough transition for some people, but for me, having you know sh shooting video side by side, like the, the F nine hundred was the first Sony HD camera that we that I got my hands on, mm -hmm. and while it's a, a terrible camera, I really hated it. It was it was HD and it was a video camera, so you know shooting those and then shooting shooting a F 
900 project and then shooting a 35 project side by side, you know, the lighting is the same. You know, the way that you, you're, you know, you're, you may use less light, but you still have to learn how to shape light, yeah. how light tells a story, how to work with color, you know, and just the, all the logistics of making a film mm -hmm. or a movie or a TV or commercial or whatever is the same. When you're uh, stepping into work on a project and you're reading the script and you're talking to the director, how important is it for you to also talk to other people on the craft side, like production designers, wardrobe, in terms of color palette? Do you think those things really affect the way you shoot a scene? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's where prep really comes into play. You know, if, 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 you, if you go in blindly, I mean, some filmmakers like a little bit of looseness and a little bit of, you know, discovery, which is great. But you do need to have a sense of the aesthetic of the film or the TV show, the whatever you're shooting, so you can at least come from someplace. For me, you know, uh, I work pretty closely with a production designer. Uh, to you know, I really like you know sets that are, you know, based in a physical reality. You know, like hard ceilings, walls don't necessarily need to fly very easily, and I like to be able to actually be in like a, what would look like a real space and shoot like a real space. Yeah. So you're not, uh, you don't have any preference between sort of like the constructed soundstage versus shooting kind of real location. You'd yeah. rather just shoot in a real location if you could. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Part. I like yeah. real locations. I prefer them, but sometimes you need a soundstage because you're shooting, you know, 40 scenes or, you know, like, like in the American Crime Story, you know, we have so many scenes in these, you know, in the DA's office, we just we couldn't physically go to a location that much, you know, it would just yeah. it'd be really difficult and day and night and be able to control it. So, but, you know, but I, you know, uh, the production designer on that show, we just, we really tried to just make the space as, you know, real as possible. And that's all hard ceilings and fluorescent lights built in and, you know, everything's, everything's realistic in the way that it looks. Yeah. When you're working on something like O.J. Simpson or like Breaking Bad or Homeland and there's this, you know, sometimes there's an established look or in the case of O.J. Simpson, I mean, you're going in from the very beginning and there's going to be a look that's going to be there for all 10 episodes. Mm -hmm. So who, for you, you know, is it the producers? Is it the multiple directors? I mean, how do you kind of establish that when there are so many cooks in the kitchen? Uh, so well, it's interesting, you know, and, and for me, I, I mostly shoot pilots in the first series. It's it's cause, because it is harder and and uh, to visually create something if you're coming in later. Um, like Homeland, I was, you know, I split credit with Chris Manley in the pilot, so I was there from basically the beginning. And, uh, you know, American Crime Story was kind of a 10-episode chunk that was already, you know, picked up in that way, so we could just kind of go into it. And, uh, you know, Breaking Bad was a different situation because uh, that show was already well established and had a great look. John Toll shot the pilot. Michael Slovis had done great work on it. You know, yeah. it was had a very established aesthetic. Um, and in that case, it really just depends on the project. Vince Gilligan is very strong visually. And he his visual aesthetics in, in that space and how he wanted to shoot Albuquerque. Uh, I remember having a conversation with him about... Uh, the sky and you know he he really liked you know very specific kind of bleak landscapes so he didn't you know he wanted he had very specific aesthetics and yeah. when we had our tone meeting with with Vince uh, for uh, some of the episodes I shot he was he had certain shots in mind when he wrote those scripts and when he worked on those those uh, scenes and he wasn't directing uh, these no. episodes so he would and, and he had uh, you know he would say like 
there was a specific scene where we had uh, Skyler and Walt had sex, you know, we kind of reconnected and got back together, and there was, you know, a steamy sex scene. And his, he had this great idea to shoot the whole thing through Walt's glasses. Walt's glasses would sit down, and he was like, keep focus on the glasses. And have it, it was a great shot, you know, it made the scene. And that was a case where that was all Vince Gilligan. You know, so for, for that show, his aesthetic was, was clear and, and well-established, and it was great to play in that world because we were shooting on 35. Uh, at the time, AMC had a rule you had to shoot film. That really? was one of their early rules. That changed very quickly. <laughs> uh, when I did Halt and Catch Fire, that was no longer a rule. They demanded yeah. digital. Are there really that many places that can develop film now? It seems like it's almost It's sort of almost gone. I haven't shot film yeah. for a couple years. And I mean, I think there's, I think Photochem's still there. I think there's one or two labs. I think maybe just one lab in town that's doing it. Um, so you, I know you can still do it, but, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, the workflows have switched over yeah. most of the time. Uh, so for you starting on American Crime Story, uh, The People versus O.J. Simpson, what was your introduction of it? Was it through the script? Was it through meeting with Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski or Ryan Murphy? Or Yeah, well, that for me, that relationship started with uh, Nina and Brad. Uh, J- you know, Nina Jacobson and Brad Simpson, the, uh, the, the EPs, the, crit- the, you know, the producers of the show. And, and they, uh, they called me and uh, said, we want you to meet with Ryan. And uh, you know, I was a huge fan of you know Nina's work and Brad's work. They're just they're some of the best, of the best producers. And they said we want you to go and meet with Ryan. And it was really difficult because I was shooting a pilot in Atlanta, and Ryan was doing Screen Queens pilot. So we were like all over the place. We were going to try to fly me into um, you know uh, Louisiana and try to meet him there, but his two schedule was too busy. So we ended up both finishing our pilots. And we flew back to LA, I think, on the same day or a day or two apart. So we met as soon as we came back. And we're both exhausted. And, uh, and I met with Ryan, and we sat down with, with Brad, Nina, and Ryan. And uh, we just you know, talked about the project and just kind of, you know, we didn't get you know, super in depth in the aesthetics at that point, but we just talked about the tone and kind of what Ryan wanted to do. And it was a great meeting. And they, uh, I think uh, Ryan's people called me right after that meeting as soon as I walked out and said, he wants you to know you got the job. He doesn't want you to worry over the weekend because we met on a Friday. So, yeah. so it was great. We, we hit it off right away and it was a great, great creative relationship. Uh, so what were some of sort of the initial conversations of how Ryan saw the show visually? Because I think he directed the pilot and then the second episode. He did right? the first two. We did yeah. just kind of a chunk. We did the first two as like one mini movie. Like, so you shot that really continuously over a yeah, long period. Yeah, the first two were shot kind of as, as one piece. And that includes that crazy Bronco chase. Yeah, so episode. we basically shot for like 35 days, like as like almost like a like a movie, like that first, those first two episodes together, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that includes the Bronco chase and, you know, the, finding the bodies and everything and setting up the characters. And, um, yeah, I mean, for me, you know, what Ryan said early on was, in our first meeting, really, uh, was he wanted it to be gritty and realistic, you know, and, and a lot of Brian Murphy's stuff is known to be kind of, you know, horror story and glee. They're kind of, you know, deliberately larger than life and surreal. Um, Very they, theatrical in a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really heightened, you know, in, in a good way. I mean, they work tonally. But, and this show is heightened as well, but the, the characters and what's happening is so heightened just in what it was in reality and the emotional content of it that it didn't, you know, Ryan and myself both wanted to kind of give it a grittier look and, and harken back a little bit to like, you know, 70s thrillers. And, uh, you know, we, we wanted a little bit of a kind of a, a thriller aspect to it, you know, which was, 
you know, I was, I was looking at like a lot of like kind of mid '90s Michael Mann stuff, like The Insider, which are like these, you know, kind of beautifully shot. You know, Dante Spinati did a beautiful job shooting these, but he's really natural lights. You know, he's sodium vapor, and, you know, really natural colors and kind of raw lighting. If you will, like it's not—they're not glamour lit, you know. And even with the color palette, it seems like there's not a lot of like big primary colors. It's very kind yeah. of taken back a little bit. Absolutely, yeah. We, in, you know, for me, you know, I'm a big David Fincher fan, and turn, so was Ryan. We both looked at Zodiac, you know, as a visual reference, mm. because, you know, I wanted to really play with color in a very specific way in this show. And there's a couple, you know. There's a couple sequences where we use some really bright color. Like there's an episode, uh, I can't remember if it's seven or eight, but Marsha Clark is wearing this red blazer, this bright red blazer, and it's beautiful because it's one of the only primary colors we use throughout the whole show. And there's some great solitary moments of her sitting in this kind of neutral, you know, DA's office with this red jacket and just breaking down and destroying her office and crying. And it's just, it's great. So, you know, it wasn't, and, it, and the second thing about the color palette is it was a period piece. So I wanted to control the colors to some degree so it just didn't become kind of yeah. everything. So we had a very kind of controlled palette. Uh, did you ever have an opportunity to go to any of the real locations and sort of see what they looked like or even look at kind of archive photography or archive video and kind of absolutely. use that as a reference? We absolutely did. We actually shot in some of the real locations. Like the uh, the Kardashian house is the actual Kardashian house. Really? That was where those events actually happened. Um, that house is for rent and I think for <laughs> sale in Encino. You can buy it for, I think, $1.4 million or $1.6 uh-huh. And uh, it had basically remained untouched. It was exactly the way that uh, they left it. So we dressed it, you know, yeah. kind of a, kind of a, I don't want to say, it was, you know, kind of a heightened style, you know, with a lot of kind of gold and kind of mid-90s, you know, glass, things like that. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we shot, you know, in Kimmy's bedroom and dressed it from photos and got, you know, these bunny lamps that, that we were from photos that we, you know, gleaned from... Uh, Kardashian's interview with Barbara Walters. They actually go through the library there, and he, he kind of does an interview in that space where OJ uh, almost attempts suicide and writes those uh, suicide notes. Mm-hmm. So we went into that office, dressed it, and shot in that space. So, so in that case, you know, it's as accurate yeah. as it can physically get to you know to the best of our abilities. Uh, as far as like the Bronco chase, I know you guys. From what I read, you weren't shooting on the 405, but there was another <laughs> highway that you did use that you closed down that you were able to shoot. Yeah, on. yeah, the Bronco chase was intense. We, uh, you know, we know we needed, we knew that was a crucial part of making this show work, and that was probably going to be our biggest production challenge. And, uh, you know, doing that Bronco chase, we needed full control of a freeway. You know, it had to be at least a four-way, four-lane freeway, you know, on both sides to make it look right, because mm. we needed, you know, a phalanx of at least 15 cop cars and how many cameras were you planning on using for we that? had uh we had oh, i think all the cameras we had we had, <laughs> we had cameras you know we had techno cranes we had I, I believe we had a second unit which um i set up with uh, an ultimate arm so they had that the uh, a porsche cayenne with a crane head with a crane on it um to shoot some of the chase um and we had four cameras on our on our first unit, so I think we had five camera crews in total. Mm. Um, so we used you, them all. <laughs> how do you uh, how do you navigate that type of chaos when you're working on a you know a, a real highway? You have all these cameras. 
how can you sort of plan out what shots you want specifically and you know sort of move around so quickly and with so much uh, material well yeah it takes a lot of coordination you know we had uh leo bauer's a great ad and he's been ryan's ad for i think many many projects and uh you know we uh we we took that this section of the 710 which is where the this freeway terminates right below pasadena and uh, they gave us about two miles of it mm -hmm. and uh we only owned half of it. The other half was still open. Uh, what time of day was this, by the way? We shot all day, all daylight, from sun up to sundown, Saturday and Sunday, uh. two days. So, so the other side of the freeway was open, and people would, you know, be driving by. And I think there were four accidents that we caused because mm. people were, you know, like would look and see the, you know, the Bronco <laughs> chase. And I remember standing by the road one day, and when we were doing this big crane shot, and this guy drives by and he goes, "The juice is loose." He just screamed and kept driving. So. It was really interesting in that way, but but yeah, we had to coordinate all that. You know, we we had locations do a big overhead uh, blow up, and we had little you know little miniature cars, and we just sat down and mapped out you know section by section, shot by shot, the way the best way to do that logistically. You know, we had uh, you know, and and the, the way we approached it, and what Ryan really wanted to do uh, was to get the performances first. You know, get. His, his pitch, his take on the show is always, let's go where the audience hasn't been. You know, we all seen the overheads and, you know, there's tons of footage of the cars driving. So Ryan wasn't as interested in that stuff. He was interested in being in the Bronco, huh. getting emotional close-ups of AC, getting close-ups of OJ. What was going on in that car? And the cars were moving during those emotional scenes. The cars were moving. They were always actively. moving. Yeah, they were always moving. So, you know, we had to, uh, you know, we had all the, the tools of the trailer. We had to process trailers, which is... You know, when you put a car up on a, uh, a filmmaking flatbed and you can, you know, and then there's a driver that can drive the, the whole rig and we can put cameras on it and dollies and cranes and whatever else we want. Mm -hmm. um, so we did a lot of that. We had... Uh, Were you and Ryan uh, sort of based on there most of the time? No, we, we, Ryan doesn't like riding in the, uh, in the uh, process trailer. Because you're just kind of out in the open, like you're just sitting on this big truck. Yeah, probably it's, a little dangerous too to be. Uh, yeah, there's. It's not. You're just on the back of this thing. So we had a, a nice uh, Sprinter van, blacked out, and set up as a video village station with wireless transmitters. So Nina, uh, and Brad, myself, and uh, Ryan and the AD could all be in the Sprinter van, which would either follow, lead, or be on the side, depending on what the shots were. And we could we could direct from there and set things up. So Ryan had a walkie-talkie to Cuba in the car that he could give notes on, and we would just drive up and down that <laughs> two-mile section of freeway, and Cuba would cry and scream and point his gun and right. weep or just go comatose, and we just do it again and again and again. And Ryan would get his get his great performances, and uh, and then you know, and then we would go on to you know something else we'd bring the ultimate arm in and start doing some big chase stuff and getting the family to cop cars and you know, all that yeah. stuff. for you um during the bronco chase and also other scenes um how important is it to be cognizant of the actors and what they have to go through when you're a cinematographer because sometimes it's sort of you have the visual concept in your mind but uh once the actors come into the scene the way they want to move the way they want to interact i mean is that something you really have to be conscious of Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big part of the job is to, is capturing these performances, you know, a cinematographer, you know, ultimately, you know, people don't come to see a movie or watch a, 
TV show because of the lighting. You know, I mean, lighting is very important and it's a storytelling element, but ultimately you're coming to see honest performances. You know, and and you know that's why I always like to do you know performance-based shows, which are not necessarily flashy in in a traditional way. You know, Breaking Bad, uh, Homeland, uh, you know, American Crime Story. They're all kind of rooted in these great performances and you have to you know for me I try to create an environment where actors feel comfortable and and that can mean different things on different shows you know and on Crime Story we had a huge cast of A-list you know movie stars um, from John Travolta to Cuba Gooding Jr. you know to, to just great character actors like Sarah Paulson who are just incredibly raw talent and uh, you know Nathan Lane, we had David Schwimmer. I mean, the cast yeah. was just Courtney amazing. Vance. Courtney is, uh, Vance. Cochran, was, yeah. Oh my gosh! I mean, it's a great performance. And I'd worked with him before on Flash Forward with the David Goyer show for ABC. And seeing you know seeing Courtney transform himself into this character is incredibly impressive. I mean, it's yeah. just I think it's, he has the Emmy. My God! Yeah. If he doesn't get the <laughs> Emmy for this, I don't know what you have to do. I mean. I just uh, I just watched the last four. I just got them from Ryan, and uh, Courtney is just mm. unbelievably good. As is Sarah Paulson, as is David Schwimmer, really ups his game. I mean, so yeah. So as a cinematographer, you have to understand. You know, that's that you're there to translate those actors into an image that that tells the story. So, you know, for me, I I don't I like to create an environment where we can move quickly. And we can get a lot of takes, and we can really create an, a momentum that the actors feel comfortable with. And and a lot of times that means maybe doing less lighting, and and doing things simply. You know, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean technically simple. I mean, a lot of times we're running four cameras in the courtroom, and you know, on the, in the OJ freeway chase, we're running you know lots of technically different ways to shoot things. But ultimately, you just have to get you know. The emotional content across, and and the actors have to be, feel comfortable doing that. So you have to create, you have to have a rapport with them in a way that they feel comfortable. I mean, John Travolta, I won't divulge his secrets, but you know he has like certain cosmetic things which he is very concerned about, and you have to take care of him and make sure he feels comfortable because that affects his performance. Sarah Paulson, you know, is an incredible actress, and you know at times can have. Uh, you know, things that can throw her off of her performance. So you just have to be aware of those things. You have to understand, you know, as best you can, what's what's going to help the actor feel comfortable so that they can be emotionally open and break, yeah. you know, and have those, and translate those moments. Is that time, is that sometimes like sort of not having them hit marks to hit certain lights or is that sort of part Absolutely. of it Absolutely. Yeah. It, 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 again, it, it, can it can differ for every actor. I mean, John Travolta, to shoot him requires slightly different skill set than shooting Cuba, who isn't so, you know, he doesn't have certain things that he's concerned about, but he has other, you know, so so it's always different, and you just have to, as a cinematographer, be aware of those things. It's part of the job. It, it's, it's a technical job, but really what it is, you're kind of like the liaison between the viewer and the actor. You know, you have to, because you're creating those images. So you have kind of a front row seat to the movie or the show yeah. or whatever. And you're also affecting the way the actor looks. So if they are self-conscious or there are any things that they're concerned yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Really, and, you know, you know I, I love actors, but they can be vain in certain ways, you know. And so you just have to, you have to, you have to make them feel comfortable and, and tell the story, you know. You can't, because, you know, sometimes actors will, 
and you know these Ameri the actors in American Crime Story are the best pros in the world, but there can be actors that can you know get too concerned with that stuff, you know, and then you're not telling the story. So you have to you have to also be able to you know visually keep the tone of the piece right. You know, like if yeah. if I went in and I glamour lit one actor <laughs> in a gritty <laughs> piece like American Crime Story where people are supposed to look real, it yeah. just wouldn't work. It would bump. So you have to you have to be able to kind of to do that, you know. Uh, on a TV show, especially like this, you're shooting so many pages, there's so much material to cover. Um, how important is it to have shot lists to really prep before you go in? And also, too, using multiple cameras, which isn't as common in features as it is in TV. Um, I, I don't do shot lists or, or prep in that way. Um, so you don't sort of like go through the script and say, I want you know master no, over the no. shoulder. So, no, it, that doesn't work because you have to see the block. You have to be there in the space. Yeah. I mean, you have a sense. Like, you, you know, you, I've, I've been doing this for almost 15 years now. And, you know, you, you, once you kind of get through the technical stuff and you understand how to light and shoot spaces, you can kind of let that stuff happen and have a great rigging crew and a support crew. So technically, you know, you're going to have what you need. And, and it's much more important, at least for me, is, you know, to... A, to just watch a blocking. You have to interpret the scene. So, you know, one thing that, you know, I like to do is just, you just have to be there during the blocking and really pay attention to the tone of the scene and the, and the moments of the scene and, and just try to figure out a way to capture that, you know? And that may be, you know, a steady cam one or it may be a beautiful, super tight close up. Um, and you know, with, and with a director like Ryan Murphy, he's very much in tune with that kind of thing, and that's why I really enjoyed working with him because he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, over prep stuff. He like some directors are getting, they get neurotic, and they they want to control everything. Yeah. And with with a guy like Ryan Murphy, he's so talented, and he's so confident in understanding the tone that he's creating, and the actors are comfortable with him that he can just kind of find stuff. And he's great at doing that. And then, and then that way, you're not, you're not burdened by, well, okay, we'll just do a wide shot, then a two shot, then a single. You know, we can kind of build it as we go. And, that, and that's what makes it unique or interesting. I mean, there's lots and lots of t television of very high quality, quality to be made these days. But how do you make something that rises above that? You know, we want, this was a courtroom show at its heart. And none of us wanted to make a courtroom, you know, another courtroom television show. Like that was not the goal. We were not trying to make Law and Order or you know Rizzoli and Isles. We, we we wanted to make something that was completely unique and you know unlike anything else that people had seen. So the only way to do that is to really just approach it from story and you know don't be shackled by specific you know ideas of how you're going to do it. Yeah. So really letting the actors come into the space, you coming into the space with your crew and seeing how it functions and not having these kind of preconceived ideas in a way. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's not to say that the directors and myself don't go in with some idea and a plan. I mean, obviously we do, but, but it, it also, it, it means you have to really think of stuff when you're there. And that's, you know, for me, you know, shooting like the courtroom stuff in a, in a unique way was was difficult and we needed you know many many cameras to do that because how do you capture you know every scene in that courtroom turns out to have 150 people in it because the entire gallery the jury all the lawyers and everybody there's and that was a stage that was built yeah that was built yeah it was built 
almost to exact specifications of the actual courtroom, just a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, to, to capture that, you just have to be able to kind of be really, uh, you know, fluid <laughs> so you can get all those moments because there's going to be, because you have to cover the judge, you have to cover everybody in there. But you have to, and, but, you know, again, we didn't want to do it in a boring way. So yeah. how do you do it? Well, you know, you just, we had a techno crane in there every day so we could do really interesting, weird overhead shots and big pushes across the crowd. And we had, uh, you know, lots of handheld. We'd do Steadicam 360s in there. We would just, you know, we would try to just always keep it fresh and always keep the camera moving and telling the story. Yeah, I noticed too in a lot of like the uh, the conference room scenes, like you have Robert Shapiro, Johnny Cochran, the legal team, you yeah. do kind of like a continually moving camera and the performances are sort of, you know, it's one whole thing. It's not very... Mm-hmm cut together and I feel like that gives like an energy to what you're seeing. Absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, I think Ryan Murphy did a count of the Warners in the first two episodes is like 25, it was like a lot of them, you know. And I don't even know if we were super conscious of doing that many Warners, but it just kind of started to become something that was just right for the style. It, it's a little bit nauseating, but kind of in a way that like the story is a little bit unsettling. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it starts very simply. Like, we started the show visually very simply. Like, like just a, like kind of a pot-boiler crime story. You know, the dead, the bodies. You know, not, we didn't show the murder, but we just showed the bodies and the cops going through and finding the kid. You know, we did, it's like kind of a simple way. And then as the story gets more and more complex and more and more layered, you know, the camera's constantly moving around and finding things. And we had a really great uh, camera operator, Andy Mitchell, Andrew Mitchell, who did uh, a lot of Ryan Murphy's Glee and was just a really technically great steady cam operator and great storyteller. So, you know, we would just turn him loose and let him, you know, tell the story with the actors. And, and it, the great thing about doing a, a beautiful composed wonder is that you don't have to do a, a million cuts. You don't have to do a bunch of coverage. The actors don't have to do it as many times. So it feels fresh and they have to get their pacing, you know, right because it's all yeah. kind of playing one so you know t- and it also takes a really gutsy director to do that because you know Ryan Murphy's kind of a unique individual in the sense that he can do a one that introduces you know three or four of his main characters and just say great we got it and that's it and that's the only shot we do so and that, and that that's hard to you know that's yeah. that's a gutsy thing well it's great to see that type of visual style on TV because as much as like the writing has been great in TV recently, you know, there's always sort of like the standard coverage of like the two over shoulders. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but this seems like it's kind of going out of the box and making it what a feature film would be. Yeah, and that, you know, yeah. and I, I you know, having shot movies and television, it's like I don't see a difference in the mediums, you know, for me. It's all it's all visual storytelling and and just you know the amount of time and money and resources that we have on a show like this is bigger than most features these days. I mean, we we shoot you know, I think for the first two episodes we were shooting thirty five days. I mean, we have we have the time, and we have great sets, and they're spending the money, and we have you know we have the resources that we need to do it. So yeah. I figure why why you know let's we, let's just tell the story how we want to tell it, and and you know. Because of this, you know, golden age of television, whatever you want to call it, you know, the networks and the creators are very supportive of that. You know, Nina Jacobson, you know, is one of the biggest feature producers in history. I mean, Hunger Games and, you know, just huge franchise movies. And Brad Simpson, you know, War Z, great big epic movies that they produced. And, and they wanted, asked for, and fought for really high quality stuff. And they told me that from the very beginning. You know, they, they were like, 
you know, we're going to give you what you need. Take the time you need. Uh, shoot it dark. Do one or, you know, they, they're very supportive. They understand that this is the, the only way to elevate the material to where yeah. we all wanted it to be was to take real chances. And, and that's, I think, what we did. Uh, as a cinematographer, how important is it for you to be able to communicate with your crew and have a crew that's really in sync with you and that, you know, you can sort of easily tell them what you want and it can be accomplished? I mean, it's, it's really important, especially, you know, when you're running multiple cameras, you know, because I love, like, for this show, I want it to feel realistic and kind of docu-style, which, which means you have to have operators that can, you trust that can find stuff. Do you ever operate the camera yourself? Or? I do. I, I did. I mean, I did on Homeland. I operated the whole first season, basically all the handheld stuff, Brody in the bunker, and all those things. But the, what I've found is that it's it's hard because I can't keep the big picture in mind. You know, it's like if I'm if I'm one camera and I'm on the floor, I can't see what I can't see the big picture, and I can't. You know, it, it for me, I found it's better to to run you know multiple cameras, and I, I like. You know messiness and the operators that are allowed to just do whatever they want and then we find great moments in that you know so a lot of times I'll just have three handheld cameras and I'll say you can shoot whatever you want just mm -hmm. like we'll set up you on this side of the table with the defense and do some push-ins and zooms and and you know let them build it and then we give them notes and I say okay maybe we can you know focus on this character for this one and push it on this moment and we can start building it from there and so you have to have operators that are that can work on that level, and yeah. and camera people that can focus, you know, in, in that way and keep it sharp, while being really uh, loose with it, you know. Yeah, I was curious too. So you know, the first two episodes were Ryan Murphy, but then new directors are coming in. Uh, I know last night's episode was John Singleton. Yes, yeah, um, they were a great one. Yeah. Yeah. So what? Anthony Hemingway was the other director. Oh yeah. The show. So yeah. what uh, for you? I mean, transitioning to other directors on a show like this when. You know, you've been working with Ryan on those first two so intimately. How do you guys kind of uh, get in sync? And well, I mean, it's it's tough. That's always one of the harder parts, you know. And that's TV is kind of like changing in the way. Like we only had three directors on this, and John Singleton did one episode. Anthony Hemingway did four. I think Ryan did five. So we didn't have a ton of directors. Like we didn't have a director coming in every two weeks to do a new episode. So yeah. So between. You know, Anthony came to set, you know, for like a week before he started directing just to kind of like meet the actors, watch, meet me, meet, watch the tone of the show, and he did a great job coming in. And, and so after Ryan, we had Anthony, and Anthony's very, you know, he's a very good people person, and he did a great job transitioning us. And then, and then the only other director we had was Singleton, who's, you know, a great director, so that was, that was a lot of fun, and, you know. Yeah. New, new Cuba from you know from way <laughs> back yeah, yeah exactly so so that was great you know um, yeah so so in this case we didn't have a ton of directors and it and it worked really well because it was all people that we all trusted and it all could could you know do the job so yeah so it was good but but it can be hard when you're doing a show where there are you know six seven directors it, it is very difficult and it and it can limit the show to some degree because tonally it's harder to keep the tone right. And I think for a show like, you know, like American Crime Story, uh, you know, Ryan Murphy, he's aware of that and he tries to keep, he tries to, you know, keep it focused and keep as few voices as, as possible so that it can be, you know, tonally. Yeah. So it's really sort of his overarching uh, sort of tone of the show that you guys established in the first two. Uh, yeah, exactly. Over. Yeah, and, and Ryan, you know, Ryan has a 
very clear tone. I mean, that's that's one of his masterful things. Is you know, he's, he's got this beautiful kind of surreal but kind of emotionally riveting tone that he can create. You know, this like it's like it's a heightened world that you know Ryan can translate, which is really difficult to do. And uh, and uh, yeah, and so you know, our job is to you know continue that and maintain it. And, you know, well while he's not there. Yeah. Uh, sort of looking through all 10 episodes, are there any moments that you feel the most proud of that you really feel went above and beyond your expectations? I don't know. Have you seen him? Uh, I've only seen up to last of all five. Oh, yeah? There, cool. but Man, I, I, just wa- <laughs> I just watched all of them. Like, all I, 10. I, yeah, Ryan through, just yeah. gave me the last four, and I just watched them last night. Um, there's so many amazing episodes. I just emailed Sarah Paulson. There's a scene where she goes to Oakland with Darden, for like a weekend getaway. They need to blow off some steam. So Darden's uh, childhood friend's having a birthday. So they go up there and there's an amazing scene in a hallway. I don't want to spoil it for anybody that, that Marsha and Darden have that's like the world's longest pause. It's amazing. It's like the sexual tension and just... So that was a, a really you know, a simple moment that like two great actors made, you know, just completely unique and memorable, you know? Yeah. Um, because you know it's just a magical moment. Um, I mean, some of the stuff with uh, I mean uh, the Johnny Cochran um, you know character really came to life here in a way that I, I didn't when I read it. I mean, you read it and the speeches it's large, but you know Courtney Vance just tr- created this amazingly strong character, and, and it's his work in it is is a real highlight. Yeah, and just, you know, seeing certain shots of the Bronco chase, you know, for me, you know, kind of gave me chills. Like seeing that, you know, that phalanx of, you know, 15 police cars following that white Bronco on the freeway. It's just, it's like to get to create that image and, you know, is was, was really an honor and just felt really, really good to be yeah. able to, like, you know, recreate that moment. And in it's history. incredible how the show is really caught on in a way. I mean, it's really hit the culture. I mean, this was something that was huge when it happened in yeah. the 90s. It became such a media frenzy. And now the show is really caught into the zeitgeist. I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's it's so... It's it's crazy because, you know, the only other show I've ever done that's been like this is like Homeland, which was the same kind of thing. Like, you just... You don't know when you go in how the show's going to come. Like, you know, I remember sitting down when we were shooting the pilot of Homeland with... Claire, we had a dinner, I think Claire and had a dinner party with Manny Patankin and, you know, the, all the cast and, and I remember somebody like asking like, well, is this going to be a hit, you know, and, and like nobody knew, you know, like Mandy, and I think Mandy Patankin said like, the only thing you can do is just put your heart into it and do you do the, do the best you can with what you, you know, and the rest is, you know, it's just, and sometimes they hit and sometimes they don't, you know, um, but this one just for whatever reason was just in the right place in the right time and was just kind of, you know, it just, it, it, and we kind of started to feel that and you can kind of feel it as you're making it, that it's, at le- you don't know if it's going to be a hit, but you know that it's at least interesting and there's an interesting energy in the air, you know, and you can get, and that's like this weird kind of, you know, intangible thing. And it's, and I think the actors can feel that too, because you can really, like when there's really standout performances starting to happen, it's like, everybody feels that because they can feel that energy and like Sarah Paulson just came out of the gate just doing such a great Marsha her, her performance in Mar- as Marsha Clark is just so beautiful and so kind of like haunting and and just emotionally driven that you just 
everybody kind of says, okay, oh, wow, like that's really beautiful or interesting or sad or, you know, and, and I think everybody felt that on this, you know. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned before that you were working on a Cruel Intentions pilot. I don't know if there's anything you can share about that. but uh, I mean, I can't reveal any, like, plot stuff, but, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, I think it's going to be a fun one. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, the, it's, the, it's the same tone as the movie, which is just, it's just, it's just fun. You know, it's like a really fun return to that world and you know I'm just excited I'm a huge Sarah Michelle Gellar fan I told her that when I met her you know two days ago that, <laughs> like I've seen every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer I really like her and, and uh, I can't. is she back playing the same part from the movie yeah. or is it oh She's so playing, it's like an update of what it's just 20 years later wow so it's you know so it's it's gonna be awesome to watch her like do that role again and I think I think it's gonna be a big hit just to watch you know just to be able to revisit that so I'm excited about it 